Good morning. I'm so glad you're here today. I need to, before I start my talk, I need to ask for a couple of favors, if I could. And uh, the first favor is I want to talk to like all of you who are really committed new springers. Uh, the first thing I'd like to get you to do is look around this morning. Uh, because we, we're, we're in the throes of the vacation season, and we're getting really crowded at the 11 o'clock service. New Spring just continues to grow like crazy. And I know it's really a challenge to get in with the parking lot and everything. We have two more services that aren't quite as crowded. So if you're a committed New Springer, you would just do such a blessing. It would be such a blessing in our church if you would think about maybe moving to one of those other two services if it works out for you. It would sure be a blessing because we're starting a brand new series in September called Love Songs. It's on marriage, sex, and relationships. And we're just expecting a ton of guests. And so if you, could, if you could do that for us, that would be huge. We would appreciate it so much. And the second thing is that this series that I'm about to start, I'm going to be talking about the most important topic that I could possibly talk about. And because it's the most important topic, great decisions are going to be made. So one thing I'd like to ask for, if it's okay, please, is that if we could just really watch distractions. I hope I'm never heavy-handed about that because I, I really try to be understanding that, you know, life is what it is. But uh, if, you know, please watch your cell phones if you don't mind. Make sure they're off. Um, and we want to watch distractions about getting up and moving around, or if you have a fussy baby, it, you know, it would really help us. And the reason why I make that comment is what we're going to be talking about is to make sure that we are really right with God, that we know if we were to die today, we would go to heaven. And that decision is the biggest thing. You know, you could get everything else that we talk about at New Spring, but if you weren't settled on that one thing, it would be worth nothing. And on the other hand, if you get this one thing right, everything else that happens in your life will be like an ornament on the tree. Um, and, and, and again, the distraction thing, I would just really appreciate it. I, there's a story in my background that really resonates with me when I get to this topic. Many years ago, I was um, at a church in Fort Worth, Texas, my hometown. I was on staff of that church. And and one of my responsibilities was to oversee kids' ministry. And we had, a, we had a little girl in our ministry that just really loved our church. And she asked me one time, would you go see my dad? And so I said, sure. He just lived right around the corner from the church. So he invited me into the house when I got there. And I started talking to him about Jesus and who he is and about making a decision for him. And I got to the place, like I get to the end of all of our, our talks, where I ask you, if you haven't made a decision for him, to pray with me. And I asked him if he would like to pray. And he was very positive. He said, yes, I would. And just at that moment, the phone rang. And he left our talk and talked on the phone for a little while. And when he came back to the living room, he said, you know, I've thought about it a little bit. He said, I think I'd like to wait. I just, I don't think I'm quite ready to make this decision. So I, I said, all right. I try never to push. So I left, and, and I, I think I went back to see him one more time. But I can still remember very vividly the Sunday morning I got to church one day, and another kid came up to me, and, and she said, did you hear what happened in the neighborhood? And I said, no, and she told me that guy had gotten shot to death. And I've always thought about that strategic, unfortunately strategic moment when he was ready to make a decision, and something you know, distracted him. Because it is a battle. It is a struggle. If, if you're close to making a decision to invite Jesus Christ into your life, you're going to have a force that pulls you toward Christ. You're going to have a force that pulls you away from him. And so I'm just always cognizant of the fact that whenever we get together in this room, the most important thing is happening. And certainly in these three weekends that we're going to have today and starting today, it's just so critical that we really focus tightly. Our series is called Come Clean. And we're going to be looking at the stories of three individuals. You know, I, I think 
we need to stop and pay attention to the Bible, especially close, when God puts stories back to back that seem to have something in common, but yet there's a lot of distinction. I know that may sound strange, but this will explain what I mean. For instance, if you get into John chapter 3 and John chapter 4, you have the stories of Jesus having one-on-one encounters with individuals. And he's trying to draw them into making the most important decision of their life, which is to accept him as Lord and Savior. In John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you would think if there was anybody going to heaven, it would be Nicodemus. Because he is the leading seminarian, not only in the region of Judah, but in the city, the holy city of Jerusalem. For instance, if you, went to, if you moved to Jerusalem and you had a question about the Bible that you wanted to have answered... You know, you probably wouldn't get a chance to talk to Nicodemus. You'd probably talk to one of his staffers. Nicodemus was the smartest man in Jerusalem about the Bible. And yet Jesus told Nicodemus, in fact, let me just read to you what he told him. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Two verses later, he would say, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. See, there are people that I talk to every day, and I ask them the question, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? And they'll, they'll answer in sort of strange kinds of ways. And what they do is they answer in ways that seem right to us. You know, the Bible says there are pathways that seem right to human beings, but the end are the ways of death. In other words, God is saying we can't trust what feels right to us. But sometimes I ask people, are you sure that you're going to heaven? You know, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And they'll say things like this to me. They will say, well, I've always known God. I've always been a Christian. Well, the fact of the matter is no one has always known God. No one has always been a Christian. See, that's what Nicodemus would have said when Jesus encountered him. Nicodemus would have said, but I've always been right with God. I'm a Jewish person. My parents taught me the laws of God. I've learned the Bible. I've not only learned the Bible, I've studied it so much that I'm an expert in the Bible. I've always been okay. And Jesus is saying, no, Nicodemus, it's not enough to be born the first time. You have to have a a new beginning in life. That's what he means by being born again. I know that term has been stretched all out of shape so much so that being born again means you're a southern evangelical in the political sense. But being born again, Jesus just made the point. Look, when you were born the first time, you were born to human parentage, and you have a human legacy and a human life. But Jesus is saying that's inadequate. It's not enough to be born the first time. There must be a moment in your life where you are born from God, and you become a different person. I know that this is probably... You know, this is, I don't like theology myself, and theology just means the study of God. But every once in a while, we really do have to like drill down into the Bible to see how it works. Because remember, the things that seem right to us aren't right. I mean, there are other things that people tell me sometimes besides I've always been a Christian. Sometimes people will say, well, I try. I'm a nice person. If I sleep with someone, I call them the next day. I'm, I'm really a nice person. You know, it, it's as if I, I make an effort So clearly, God just gives everybody an E for effort, and somehow we all go to heaven at the end. I mean, where do we come up with this stuff? 
I mean, my, my whole point about this whole series is you get everything else right. I mean, you could come to love songs and learn a lot about relationships and marriage and family and sex, and you could, like, get all that right. But if you get this wrong, it, it doesn't make any difference. You'll just, your life will just be enhanced for the few years that you're here, and then when the end of your life comes, you'll wind up in an eternity that you don't like very much. So let's drill down into the Bible to see why it is that we need to make this decision to be born again. As Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, you have to start life over again. Well, the Bible tells us a story that God started this world with two people. Makes sense to me. They had kids, and eventually we're here. But God started with Adam and Eve, and he gave them one rule. And it wasn't that God was into rules. It's just that God is into giving everybody a free choice. God doesn't make robots. And God said to them, look, you can have anything you want. There's just one. And it wasn't about the tree, and it wasn't about the fruit. God just had to set up a platform where they had a choice. And his choice was, look, don't eat the fruit of this tree, because if you do, you'll know the dark side, and you don't want to know the dark side, and I don't want you to know the dark side. And everything was great. They had a great relationship with God, a great relationship with each other, and they'd never done wrong, and there were no problems in the world. I I struggle sometimes. People want to know, if God is a loving God, why are there so many problems in the world? The world his way didn't have problems. Our first parents chose the dark side, and unfortunately, we were in them at that point. Our DNA was locked up in them, and what they did came down to you and me. Just as you have a God who loves you, you have an enemy who hates you. The Bible says that you have an arch enemy. God has an arch enemy. We call him Satan. Please don't get the idea that Satan is, you know, this hideous creature in, you know, in red suit, horns, and pitchfork. Not that at all. When he was an angel. When God created him, he was the most powerful, the most beautiful of all the angels. Unfortunately, he looked in the mirror too long and decided he wanted to be God. And I talk to intellectuals every once in a while who are atheists, and they will, they will kind of rip me a little bit, and they say, oh, you, you God followers, you know, you believe in this all-powerful God, so you have to have this equally powerful nemesis, you know, you have to counterbalance it, and so you have to come up with this, you know, there's the God force, and here's the evil force. I want you to understand, they're not equal. When God got through with Satan, he just thumped him out of heaven, and he's slated for a real punishment to come, and I'm going to clap like a Texan at a football game when he gets it, because I hate him. But he's been against God ever since. And, and so here's the thing. When, when Satan, when Lucifer looked at God's creation, he understood he couldn't wait several generations to mess up the human race. He needed to get it at the fountainhead. He needed to get to our first parents and lure them into go, you know, to surrendering the authority that God had given them and moving over to the dark side. So here is his appeal. He came to Adam and Eve, our first parents, in the Garden of Eden, and he said, hey, look, God is trying to hold something back from you. Because God knows at the moment that you experience the dark side, you're going to be just like him. And he's trying to hold it back from you. So here's the deal. Why don't you just break out, break free, have the fruit, and then you're going to experience life as it should be lived. And by the way, he's still telling people that today. And unfortunately, our parents partook, and what they discovered was they didn't have life the way it should be lived. They had a disaster. They got expelled from the Garden of Eden, and all the bad things that we know came into the world. And Romans chapter 5 says it came upon us because we were locked up in them. Satan was shrewd. He was smart. He got our first parents, and he got the whole human race. The word that the Bible indicates is fallen. In other words, we fell from the estate or from the the, the place that God placed human beings. And because of that fallenness, we were separated from God. We had sin now because, after all, we could rip Adam and Eve, and we could say, well, hey, if they had done better, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in. But I can't say anything because I've had so much sin in my life. I don't think I could be perfect for 30 minutes. Distance, disconnect. 
And that's why God was telling Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. It's not enough to be religious. It's not enough to know about the Bible. It's not even enough to teach other people about the Bible. You have to experience something. See, what happened was this. And this is, I don't think I've ever explained it like this until this weekend, but I think I've got right to ground zero on what this is all about. Our first parents told God no. God said, go my way. And they said, no, we're going down our own road. We're going to go down our own pathway. And we're telling you, no, we're not going to go your way. And we got locked up in that. So here's what God had to do. God had to reestablish a possibility for us to be able to come back to him and say yes. But here's the sticking point. There had to be a basis for us to be able to say yes. See, when our first parents had the opportunity to say, yes, they were created in a perfect environment, but now there's all this sin, there's all this brokenness, there's all this disconnection, Adam and Eve's sin that we inherited, and then our own sin that separates us from God. So God had to do something to deal with that sin. You and I can't pay for it because the only way we could pay for our sin is to go to hell forever. And I don't want to do that, and God did not want us to do that. So God had to find a way for all of our sin that was causing the disconnect between him and us to be paid for so that we could get to the place of level ground where, once again, we could look at God and say, yes, yes. (laughs) Just keeping it real here, if I'd been God and I knew what it was going to cost like he did, I'd have said, no way. I would have let this world spin out into a black hole. I would have said, easy come, easy go. I'm not doing that. It's too expensive. My son, my perfect son, pay for what all these people did, just create them in the first place. I'll let them go into oblivion. I'll create a whole new world. That's what I would have done. I'm sorry. wish I could have told you something better. I could talk to some of you today, and and your idea about God is that God hates you, and and you struggle. You say, well, man, I'm even kind of concerned about going into church because the ceiling may fall in on me if I go there because God is just up in heaven with a hammer waiting to just destroy me. You have no idea how much God loves you. You and I cannot begin to imagine the love that God has for us. So in John chapter 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, you have to be born again. It's not enough. You have to come to the place where you understand my plan and say yes to me and surrender your will to mine. In John chapter 4, the very next chapter, it's, the, it's such a different situation. Jesus is talking to a Samaritan. Samaritans were considered half-breeds. They were pagans. They were into false religion. The Jewish people thought in those days that Samaritans were just basically animals. They wouldn't have anything to do with them. wouldn't even walk on the same side of the street. So think about this. In John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to the leading seminarian in Israel. In the next chapter, he's talking to a Samaritan and a woman. And not only that, a woman who had been married five, count them, times. And she was sleeping with a man who wasn't her husband. Now, do you understand the parentheses that God has set up in his word? He's like shown us the, the guy you would think most likely to be going to heaven and the gal that's least likely to be going to heaven. And Jesus is talking to both of them, trying to draw them into a relationship with him. By the way, the gal gets it a lot quicker. I mean, she goes back into the city and brings the whole town back to see Jesus. I mean, think about her. I mean, you, you guys hand out many invites. You know, come to my church, come to New Spring. She went back to her town and said, hey, I met this guy out there. I've never seen him before. don't know who he is. He's just a stranger. He came and he said, he told everything I'd ever done. And I bet that got the town's attention. They thought, man, let's go out and hear this guy. If he knows what this gal's done, 
Maybe he's worth hearing. And Nicodemus, it took him a while. So now we're leaving John chapters 3 and 4, and we're, we're talking about come clean, and we're going to go now to Acts chapters 8, 9, and 10. And we're going to take chapter 8 today because there's a story of three people who come to know Jesus. They accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. They make this important decision in their life, and then they take the step of baptism, which baptism does not save you, but it's like the public affirmation. It's like going public with your faith. And we're going we're to take some time to look at these three stories because here's the deal. If God put them back to back to back in the Bible, it's his way of saying, don't miss these. There are three guys. The first guy is a seeker. He doesn't know the way, but he's trying to find it. In chapter 9, we have a religious guy. He's grown up in religion all his life. And in chapter 10, we have the nice guy who lives next door who mows your grass when you're on vacation. In Acts chapter 8, it's a black man. It's a man from Africa. In Acts chapter 9, it's a Jewish man. In Acts chapter 10, it's a Caucasian. God is just saying, I want the whole world to come to me. Come clean. Do you know that one of the most pervasive messages in the Bible is God saying, come? How many times have you experienced life where people told you to go away? You're not one of the beautiful people. You, this is not for you. Go away. I don't want. Some of you have experienced that in your family. Go away. Maybe your parents said, go away. Maybe someone you love said, go away. Maybe your kids said, go away. Maybe, maybe somebody that you put all your hopes in. I, mean, I know of some people, in, and you're here at New Spring, your previous experience that religion has been go away. You're in a church, and that was the message you got from the church. The church was saying, go away. Do you realize that over and over and over when you read the Bible, God is saying, come, 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 come to me. Jesus said, all you who are stressed and overwhelmed with life, come to me, and I will give you rest. Jesus over and over said, come to me, and I'll give you the bread of life. Come to me, and I'll give you the water of life. Come. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, come. In fact, I love this. If you were to turn to the very last page of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, do you know the last significant message of the Bible? One more time, God says, come. The Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. The bride, that's all Christians everywhere. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And Jesus said, whoever's thirsty, come to the water of life. I mean, it was like God couldn't help himself. Just one more time before he put the final period in the Bible, God is saying to everybody everywhere, please come, please come. You say, but Mark, I've got so much brokenness in my life. God wouldn't want me the way I am. I need to straighten up my life. I hear this sometimes. This is so unfortunate. People say, Mark, I just got to clean my life up, and then I'll come to God. Did you know that God wants you just like you are? You can't clean your life up anyway. God is saying, just, just come like you are. Come wherever you are. Come from your brokenness. Come from your pain. Come from your fears. Come from your loss. Come from your embarrassment. Come from your shame. God is saying, look, just come like you are. But the great thing about coming to God is he, won't leave, he, he wants you to come like you are, but he won't leave you like he found you. He'll make you clean. Could I just read a scripture to you? This is the scripture that I'll probably read to you all three weeks. But it's from the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, verse 18. Just listen to this. God says, and if you read this whole chapter, you see these people are screwed up 35 different ways. But listen to what God said to them. Come now. Let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. Can you imagine scarlet on white cashmere? 
God is saying, that's what our sins are like. But he said, it's okay. Come now. God said, let's settle this. I'm talking to some of you today. You've got a disconnect between you and God, and it's like uncomfortable, and you want to get close to God, and you want to be right with him, but you just have all this junk in your life, and you're saying, wow, I, I, I'm here, but I'm here. And, I'm, and God is saying, come on now. Let's settle this. Let's do it today. Let's do it today. God is saying, come just like you are. Even if your sins are as red as scarlet, I'll make them white. Oh, I hate religion. You know what religion says? Do better, and maybe God will accept you. God says, come like you are, and I'll wash you. I'll make it as though you've never sinned. That's the offer. It's on the table, and God says, come now. Acts chapter 8. By the time you get to Acts chapter 8, Jesus has gone to heaven. The church, the first church, which started with 120 people, is now thousands. Jesus had told his followers, don't just stop in Jerusalem. Go to the outer regions of Judea. And then he said, go to Samaria. Samaria, that's where all the pagans lived. We already talked about Samaritans. But Jesus said, go to Samaria. And then this is what our missions ministry is about. Jesus said, go to all the world. Take the good news of Jesus to the whole world. Well, in Acts chapter 8, Philip, one of Jesus' followers, is doing exactly that. He goes to Samaria, and they're having what we, you know, if any of you can remember the Billy Graham Crusades where they had like, you know, stadiums full of people and and lots of people, you know, walking forward to trust Christ. That's what Philip was experiencing in Samaria. And all of a sudden, God comes to Philip and he says, I want you to leave, and I want you to go someplace else to do ministry. Now, if I'm Philip at that point, I'm thinking, okay, it's got to be another stadium somewhere. God wants me to go to some other mega, you know, some big city and talk to people. But amazingly, this is what I love about God. God wanted him to talk to one person. Could I tell you today that I think if you were the, I believe with all my heart, if you were the only person on the world, in the world, Jesus would have died for you. If you were the only person, God would love you enough that he would give Jesus to die for you. Now God calls Philip away from this huge evangelistic thing that's going on in Samaria. And God says, I want you just to just go down the road here. And God didn't even tell him what he was going to run to. He said, I want you to just go down the road. It's the road that leads to the desert of all places. And God just said, I got something I want you to do down there for me. And so I love this about the story here. It's verse 26. It says, as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. By the way, when God says go, it's a good thing to start out. He didn't know where he was going, he did. And he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch, a eunuch there is kind of a term for an, an official, a eunuch of great authority under Kandaki, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, I have that circled, and he was now returning, seated in his char- carriage, he was reading aloud from the book, I have that circled, of the prophet Isaiah. Well, who, the person that we have here that Philip is encountering is a seeker. He's a rich guy. We know that because he's riding in a chariot or a carriage. In those days, poor people walked. Well-to-do people rode an animal. Only the very richest people had their own carriage. So it must have really freaked Philip. I can't wait to get to heaven and ask him what this was like. Because God said, I want you to go to the desert. And he gets down there, and there's a motorcade with flashing lights and flags. And, and, And there's this guy. And on top of that, you know, he's not from around there. He's an African official. And, but the thing that I love about this, and this, and this is going to resonate with some of you, he was a seeker. 
I mean, he knew that there was a God out there somewhere, and he wanted to connect with God, but he didn't know how. And so he just acted on the best information that he has. I honestly believe this. If you want to know God, and you will just act on the information that you have. You say, but Mark, there's so many things I don't know. Well, just act on the part that you do know. And he knew that there was a true God. He'd heard about Jerusalem as being the holy city. So he got in his motorcade, and he drove up to Jerusalem. And he thought to himself, I'll go to worship. And maybe in the worship experience, I'll learn about God. And he went there, but he didn't. And he did something that most people could not afford to do. He bought a Bible. And understand, of course, he didn't have any of the New Testament because it hadn't been written yet. All he had was the Old Testament. So he got a Bible. And, and, you know, here's the thing. A lot of people feel like, well, I must be okay because I go to New Spring Church and I have a Bible. I think I could find it somewhere if I had to. That's not good enough. But it's good. He got a little closer. He'd been to worship, had a Bible, still couldn't figure it out. And so now he's reading his Bible on the way home. And I love this. He is reading it out loud. And, and along comes Philip. Let's just pick it up at, at this in verse 29. The, um, the whole, uh, Holy Spirit told Philip, go over and walk alongside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked him, do you understand what you are reading? The guy was reading, but Philip knew that as a seeker, he might not really grasp it. And by the way, that's what starting point is about here at New Spring, because you're like, some of you are saying, I really want to encounter God, but I don't really understand what the Bible is all about. That's what starting point's about, and I would encourage you to check it out if you're like this guy and you're trying to figure it out. And Philip said, do you, do you know what you're reading? Now, real quickly, let me ask you a question. Who's the one orchestrating all this? It's God, not Philip, and not the Ethiopian. It's God. So God is orchestrating it so much that God has like led this guy to a particular portion of Scripture. Did you know that you can find Jesus in the Old Testament? He's all over the place. In fact, if you read Psalm 22, it was written a thousand years before Jesus was born. It is a graphic depiction of, of crucifixion, actually 350 years before the Carthaginians invented it. In fact, the psalmist would write, they pierced my hands and my feet. But probably there is no place in the Old Testament that so puts you at the foot of the cross. No place better than Isaiah chapter 53, written 750 years before Jesus was born. When I read Isaiah 53, I feel like I am a spectator at the cross looking at Jesus dying for my sins. <laughs> oh, the ducks were on the pond. That's exactly where the Ethiopian was. The only thing was he didn't understand. He, he said, Philip, I have a question. I, I, I want to know something here. Was this, was this writer back there in time, was this prophet, was he talking about himself or was he talking about somebody else? And Philip said, sir, I'm so happy to tell you he was talking about somebody else. And by the way, his name is Jesus. At this point, I want to leave Acts 8, and I'd like to go back to Isaiah 53. And if you want to know what this is all about, because many of us have been trained in religion that it's all about keeping rules and it's all about, you know, doing what you're supposed to do and being a nice person and golden rule and all that stuff. If you want to know what going to heaven is all about, could we just go back to Isaiah 53 and read what God wanted this man to read? Verse 5. But he was pierced. For our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten. 
so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. I think Isaiah 53 and 10 and 11 are the most amazing verses in the Bible. It's so hard for me to grasp. I can't, I can't get my arms around it. I've never been able to understand it. I, all I can do is just read it. But look at this. It was the Lord, that's the Father. It was the Father's good plan to crush him. That's Jesus. You remember a few moments ago I said God had to come up with a way to get us to a place where we could say yes. I said if, if I'd been God and I knew the price, I wouldn't have done it. This is what I was talking about. It was the Father's good plan to crush Jesus and to cause him grief. Now verse 11. When he, the Father, sees all that is accomplished by his Jesus' anguish. I think these are the greatest words in the Bible. Oh man. He will be satisfied. If you owe a $300 electric bill and you go down to pay it and you have $150, they won't be satisfied. You know that? They say bring back the other $150. If you bring $300, you're okay. People that think, well, I'm going to try to get to heaven by being a nice person. Can you imagine all that Jesus went through? Here's what the Bible is saying. When the Father saw what Jesus went through on the cross, he said, the, the debt has been paid. Do you remember Jesus' words on the cross? Next to the last words. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. In effect, what he was saying is, the debt has been paid. And the idea that somehow we're going to go to heaven by our frail good works, that would like be taking a, a Tupperware of cold pork and beans to a steak dinner. I want to start back with verse 11 again. When the Father sees all that is accomplished by Jesus' anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant, that's Jesus, will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. The reason I'm going to heaven today is not because I'm a good person. You wouldn't like me very much if you knew everything about me. I'm going to heaven today because 2,000 years ago, a man laid on a cross, and he bore my sins so that I could have a relationship with God, and that's the only reason reason I'm going to heaven. I am not a good person. If you knew me, you wouldn't like me. And if I knew everything about you, I probably wouldn't like you. There's a dark side to every single one of us. And we need to get real about the fact that the one thing that has to happen in our lives is we need to realize that the only way we could possibly have a relationship with God is the Son of God lay on a cross and hung there for six hours for our sins. And anybody, no matter where you've been or who you are, what you've done, if by faith you will see him, and, and I don't mean see him with your eyes, but I mean see him with your heart. And if you will ask him to become your Lord and Savior if you will say yes to God after our parents said no to him. God will wash away all your sins. You can come to him and you will leave clean forever. So what do you think? For some of us today, we just understood it for the first time. We were like the guy in the chariot. It was like we've been seeking all our lives. We've been trying to find out what it's all about. We've tried this church. We've tried that church. We've tried to do better. We've tried to read our Bibles. We've tried to go to church and all this stuff. But for the first time today, we understand it's not about us. It's not even what we do. It doesn't even compute. It's about what he did. It's about me saying yes to God. 
Are you, you want to do that? I could be talking to somebody and you're saying, well, I don't know about it. I don't think about it for a while. Do you remember what God said in Isaiah 1? Come now. God has told people to come so many times, he's never told anybody to come tomorrow. Because we don't know about tomorrow. He says, come now. Come now. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads with me. This is going to be a time of prayer. This is a decision moment. Wow. I mean, some of you could just, I mean, you're seconds away from making the greatest choice of your life. You're seconds away from seeing your life transformed, not just for this life, but for eternity. Because you're about to do the one thing that will make everything possible by saying yes to God. Adam and Eve, your first parents, said no, but you're about to say yes. And somebody could say, well, Mark, what are the magic words? There aren't magic words. God's just so desperate for you to say yes to him. I mean, just he'll take any positive response. I mean, the thief on the cross said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Jesus said, game, set, match. You're going today. I'm going to pray with you. These aren't magic words, but I'll tell you one thing. If you mean them from your heart, God will hear them on the other side, and he will write your name in the census book of heaven. You ready? Here we go. Dear Jesus, I know I've sinned. I know there's a broken connection between me and God. But I believe you died to pay for my sins and to make a way for me to reconnect. I believe you arose from the grave and that you're listening to me right now. I say yes. I will have you to be my Savior and my Lord. I want to go God's way. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. the biggest moment of your life if you just prayed that prayer. I know that was quick, and I've just prepared something for you, and it's a gift. It won't cost you anything. It's just got some cool stuff in there about what it means to follow Jesus. And if you just prayed the prayer with me, if I never see you again, I want you to receive this gift. When you came in today, you got a worship folder. It's Part of it's detachable, and you'll even see a little facsimile of this little vinyl packet on there. If you'll just put your name and address on there and check the box that says you received Christ, you can drop this in the offering bags, and I'll mail it to you this week. I don't like to wait for anything, so you don't have to wait if you don't want to. I know we're very crowded, but if you have just a few extra moments, there are a couple of places right back there called Guest Services in New Spring Store. And all you got to do, if you want it today, is just take this back there. They won't engage you in discussion, or they won't stalk you or anything. All you got to do is just say, I pray with Mark. And give them this, and they'll give you this, and you can take it home with you today. I don't have time. I am flat out of time, but i got to say this. I didn't even get to this guy's baptism. I hope you'll read this story, because this guy who accepted Jesus, the seeker, I mean, he, they come to a place, they're riding in the chariot, and all of a sudden there's water, and he's saying, hey, I'd like to be baptized. And Philip says, if you believe, it's okay. See, here's the thing. Baptism is only for people who have made this change, made this decision to say yes to God. That's why you can't get baptized when you're a baby, because you haven't had the experience yet. That's why you can't get baptized before you make this commitment. This is for people who have made this change in their lives and accepted Christ. They're saying, now I want to go public with my faith. And they're placed under the water to show the death of Jesus and brought up out of the water to show the resurrection. 
That's baptism. On August 23rd, we're going to get together in, in Hartman Arena because it's the only place around here big enough uh, to have all of us in one service. And already, I think there are 170 people who are ready to go public with their faith in believers' baptism. If, that's, if you've never had that experience, whether you just accepted Jesus a few minutes ago, or maybe you've accepted him before, but you've never gone public with your faith, and you think Jesus is everything, and you want to go public to show your love for him, I want to encourage you to sign up for that. Lance, I'll tell you a little bit more in just a moment. Ushers, if you will, please come forward. And especially New Springers, when you're filling out your offering envelope today, please put something in there for missions because when you do, you're doing exactly what Philip did. You're taking the good news of Jesus all around the world. Thank you for being here today. God bless.